Hey, first things first, I am seeing a lot of new listeners. And of course, I know that they're coming through from the TikTok, from the YouTube, um, from you know Instagram. And I want to tell you that I'm grateful for each and every one of you. And for those of you who are referring the podcast to your friends, um, thank you. I'm eternally grateful um, for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I always start, or at least I'm trying to make it a habit of starting by saying that if you are listening regular speed, please, whatever platform that you are on, utilize the screen, the, the the speed increase. So YouTube, Spotify, um, Overcast, Apple, whatever, they all offer the ability to increase the speed of you listening. And what that does is it allows you to upload the information that's presented in a podcast, in an audiobook, in a YouTube video, Um it increases the speed, which then increases the intake. I, I, I like to call it an upload speed in which you can get the information into your into your mind, into your brain. So also helps you focus and you can make a meditation out of listening. I myself have worked up to listening at 3x speed. I do not expect you guys to listen at 3x speed. And in my older episodes, I actually explained how I got to this level. So please check them out. And I usually lead the beginning of each episode. So you should be able to find a description of how I got to this speed um, over time. But you don't have to do that. Um, most people f- feel like they're comfortable right around anywhere from 1.5 to 2x speed. Either way, a one-hour podcast listened at 2x speed becomes a 30-minute podcast, right? So that the time requirement is not as daunting. And once again, it keeps your mind from wondering because uh, you can take in the information when you hear it, right, faster than, let, let's see, when it is written out, right? So your brain... Especially like if you, for example, if you listen to somebody who talks really fast, right? You, your brain can still keep up. And the more exposure you have to somebody who speaks really fast, your brain eventually slows them down. It's like a weird temporal thing that happens, like a time dilation thing that happens. But it does work. It, it's kind of fun. Like I like it because it feels like a little bit like a time dilation. Like there's something going on with physics and the the, <laughs> the traveling of speed and time and my, the way my brain is processing it. So I like the feeling of it. Um, but it also helps me once again to go through books um, when before I started doing this, it would take forever to get through a book if I would even get through a book. Um, but by doing this this way, it now allows me to get through, you know, anywhere from five to seven books in a week. Um, so always encourage you to do that. So um, always like to start from there. So this episode is going to shift just a, just a little bit slightly. Um, I hinted about this in the last episode where we talked about a book that I had been recommended to by um, some subscribers of the podcast. Uh, the book is called was called Magic, Ritual, and Reality by Lauren Cross. And I like to keep an open mind. So when that book was suggested to me, I was like, mm, okay, well, let's see what it has to say. And there is some stuff in there that I was like, okay, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> like a little bit a little bit of the heebie-jeebies uh, in a sense, but only because of my Western mind and being raised Christian and not being exposed to that kind of stuff um, or being taught that that kind of stuff, like you should be leery of it or whatever. Um, but I put away my my judgment and my fear and kept an open mind and I found the book interesting. From that, from that point on, another book came across my path and this book is called The Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic by Eliphas Levy. I'm destroying his name, uh, but um, it's an older book. It was written, I think, like in the 1700s, 1800s in French. Um, But so far, it has been fascinating, to say the least. So uh, it inspired this episode. And um, like I said, while it's a slight deviation, it... um, 
it was, I felt worth exploring so much so that I actually wrote down um, a lot of what this podcast is going to be. So you're going to hear me turning pages. This is slightly different. Most of the time I just sit, hit the record button and start talking, have an idea of what I want to talk about. Um, But this one, it was very important to me for me to write things out. And so I wrote it out. So I'm going to start reading my notes to you guys and um, interject with my thoughts here and there. Um, But if this is your first episode, I need you to understand this is not normal for me. I tend to just sit and speak. Um, But it was important. I felt compelled to write this out because I didn't want to forget anything because I thought it was important. So here we go. As I was writing out the ideas for this podcast, my husband was watching a show called Outer Range. I looked up and I saw a sign, a little sign on the show. It was a sign on the show, in the show rather, and the sign read, America tells you that the only thing worth knowing are those that can be known. America is wrong. Once again, the sign said, America tells you that the only things worth knowing are those that can be known. America is wrong. Now, considering as I looked up and saw the sign, I was writing a show on magic. I felt the synchronicity of the connection of what I was writing to what I was seeing on the screen. I thought it was worth notating for the episode. Sidebar, I haven't actually paid attention to what Outer Range is about as I am in the process of writing and editing videos while my husband watches it. But I do think from what I've seen, it involves a wormhole and possibly aliens. So it does look interesting and might be worth checking out. But I digress. I'd like to start by saying that the direction of this podcast is shifting only slightly. Sorry, I'm repeating, but I've written this all out. So. <laughs> but just for a bit, we are going to head into the world of magic and explore some ideas. Is magic real? Yes, I think so. If you define magic as an exertion of one's fully developed will, fully developed will over aspects of the mind projected collective simulation that we know of as our reality. That is my definition. There are, of course, other definitions of magic. English occultist Elista Crowley, or Elista Crowley, apologize, um, defined it as the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with the will. By that definition, every attempt one makes to bend people or things or events to your desired outcome could be interpreted as magic. On the dark side, lying, manipulation, coercion. On the lighter side, makeup, fitness, any type of glamour could be considered magic. Propaganda, psyops, advertisements. These could all be considered magic. Now let's talk technology. Any instrument one uses in the achievement of or to cause change to occur in conformity, once again, to one's will could be defined as a magical instrument by that definition. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Aleister Crowley, but he was pretty steeped in that, uh, in the occult. Um, So I think if he chooses it, if he chooses to define it as such, I'm going to run with his uh, definition. Technology could be looked at as Western society's magic in a way. It's a, in a practice that is engaged by the collective. Another sort of basic definition of magic is the, the use of means to have supernatural power 
over natural forces. Now, that's the dictionary definition of the word. Now, to me, nothing in nature is above nature, right? Nothing that exists can be considered supernatural if it exists within nature. And thus, nothing is supernatural if it occurs, whether or not it's unseen, right? So we tend to lump the unseen. It's weird because if it's a a scientific unseen, then we call it, oh, that's just quantum physics, right? But if it's a spiritual or metaphysical unseen, then it is lumped in as supernatural, but it's all unseen and it's all a part of nature. It's not, it's not supernatural. It's naturally occurring. Whether or not we understand it doesn't mean that we should put it into a different category. Kind of like AI, artificial intelligence is credited as being something distinct from nature simply because it is, quote, human made, as if human, humanity isn't a part and product of nature, right? The analogy I use in the past is if a beaver builds a dam, is that dam not a part of nature? Are we not a part of nature? Are we not just a part of some sort of process that we may not understand. We like to sort of elevate ourselves, but ultimately we are tied into the system that we keep trying to remove ourselves from for whatever reason, or at the very least, well, yes, mind, body, and soul all tied into what we call nature, which is existence, which is all that we see, right? It's all a product of nature. Um, So any means in which one exerts their will over natural forces could once again be classified as magic. So clothing, technology, shelter, cooking, medicine, surgery, this in a way is a type of small magic. And And it could be thus stated that we may all be small magicians. I keep thinking back to women wearing makeup to appear more ethereal as, quote, glamour, right? We use the word glamour, like she's so glamorous, which by the archaic definition of the word glamour, it means enchantment, magic, a charm. The same thing with a man who knows just the right thing to say to a potential mate. He is called a charmer. And by definition, the word is to put, it means to put a spell on, to mesmerize. What I'm attempting to say is that while we may have been led to believe that magic is a thing of fiction or a thing of the past, perhaps, I do sort of wonder if the fact that we are literally surrounded by magic (laughs) as you gaze into the scrying mirror that you use to FaceTime people at across long distances in an instance Yet we're blinded to all this technology being a type of magic in its own right. I do wonder if we collectively aren't under some sort of spell, right? Or, quote, programming, to use a modern word, right? So a person in the past would define what we call programming as just a type of spell. The words are describing the same thing. They just have a different connotation depending on the the individual and where they are located in space-time. But I wonder if there is some sort of collective, quote, spell to cause us to not see the things that are right in front of our noses. 
I want you to think about the fact that any attempt you make to charm a person, to seduce a person, is magic. A social media influencer is being paid for their ability to mesmerize and steer a collective to the desire of an advertiser's will. As is a salesperson, an author, a politician, and even an actor. This world is filled with magic, yet we cannot see it simply because we have been conditioned not to by whomever it benefits. Now, the question here is, who benefits? Who benefits from the collective not knowing about their abilities to bend reality to their will? Who benefits from the, from the collective thinking themselves powerless in believing that the material world is all there is? Like the modern priests who are of the church of materialism, that we refer to as materialist scientists, they repeatedly espouse that matter is all there is, despite millions of people who have ethereal interactions or have reported interactions with things that are immaterial. Are we to dis- disregard the experiences of these people, a large majority of people, because a small group of people who consider themselves learned, right, just priests of modern dogma, say that their experiences are invalid. As other priests from the Church of Science increasingly call our attention to the unseen, to the non-material world, right? These are new people. So more and more, more and more physicists are trying to kind of challenge the dogma, right? This, the dogma of all we see is all there is. So as more and more priests from, I guess, opposing factions right? Attempt to call our attention to the unseen, to the non-material world. Will things begin to shift? Will the immaterial once again materialize like it did in the past, as it does in cultures where the collective belief in the immaterial is strong? Now, what I mean by that is if you go to any other culture, that is a non-Western culture, if you go to Mexico, if you go to places in Africa, if you go to places in the Middle East, there is a collective belief in the, in the non-material world, in the unseen, right? In jinn, in spirits and demons. And, and they report seeing things that the Western, the average Westerner would not accept as being possible. But they talk about it with such force behind the you know what they're saying that you almost have to kind of take what they're saying with to some consideration because most of the time when you hear these stories why would they lie i think about the stories my mother had told me about her childhood and the things that she had seen when she in, in nigeria and it's kind of hard to imagine li- i would shit myself <laughs> it's just it was, it's kind of I'm a little off note at this time but uh it's just kind of hard to imagine living in such a world like they didn't have like you know her growing up i mean she was born in the 50s so they didn't have like electricity all the time it wasn't constant and so like at nighttime for example it was dark and she said that people would like they were non non-corporeal people would kind of walk in and out and you would see them and you would just have to lay there. Like, can you imagine living through that? And it's not like, I'm telling you, talk to people from like Middle Eastern countries, from, from Mexico, um, from African countries and, and ask them, 
about their experiences. You'd be you'd be surprised to hear what they recount experiencing. Um, but I think that because more people believe in the possibilities of those things over in those parts of the world, their right reality is a reflection of our mental projection. So what you expect is what ex- what happens, right? It ties in in a bit with the uh, placebo effect, right? If you but this is on a larger scale. A placebo effect is like if I give you a sugar pill and I tell you this is going to heal your body. Your belief that the sugar pill will heal your body can be reflected in your body and and will actually cause your body to heal itself. It happens all the time. Doctors know this. Scientists know this. So much so that um, more and more pharmaceutical drugs are tested against placebo. There's also nocebo. If If I give you a a, a, a a negative diagnosis and you believe it, even though there's nothing to like suggest that I was right. If I give a person a diagnosis, I'm a doctor, you trust me, you believe me. And I say, you know, you've got X, Y disease and you believe me, your body, your belief will cause your body to manifest these, right? So your mind, our reality, everything that we see, reality isn't fixed. It is intangible. It is flexible. It is a wave and set wave collapses into a particle based on the consciousness and the belief of the observer. Like these are facts. So if you have a collective of people, a collective of observers who believe in a particular reality experience, that is exactly what they're, what reality experience are going to collapse. And I think that that is why you have these sort of experiences in particularly non-Western um, cultures, right? Uh, I have not read American Gods. I did watch like a first few episodes of it. And it kind of played with that idea that the gods are materialized based on the belief, the collective beliefs of those who believe in them. Um, There are books about tulpas that basically talk about a tulpa being a manifestation of entities based on a collective or an individual's belief in them. There is, I mean, this is I'm going to try to find a couple of books that I can cite if you're interested in checking out the books. Um, One of it is, let's see, go through my library, The Hidden Universe by Anthony Peake talks about this a bit. Um, Egregores, E-G-R-E-G-O-R-E-S by Mark Stavish talks about this as well. Um, I am not an advocate for that. Uh, I I like living in a... Well, I believe I believe that there are you know non-corporal entities, et cetera. I, I kind of like collapsing my wave function in a reality where um, my feet are firmly planted on the ground, and I don't want to accidentally actualize some shit that I didn't have to deal with in my waking reality. That's just not um, how I'm trying to live. So, <laughs> but the information is out there if you want to check it out. Um, yeah. So back to the notes. All right. So why why were scientists? Ah, okay. Hold on. All right. So this is a hard segment. All right. We're going to talk about scientists and Isaac Newton. Here we go. Now, why were scientists such as Isaac Newton enthralled, enthralled by alchemy and hermeticism and by the occult? Look it up. Look up Isaac Newton and hermeticism. Look up Isaac Newton and the occult. Isaac Newton and alchemy. You can look it up in DuckDuckGo. So right there. But why were such scientists... Not just Newton. There were others. I, I'm going to go ahead and list them soon. Um, why were they so enthralled by the occult to the point that he was called by economist John Keynes the last of the magicians? But she didn't know. But she didn't know that Isaac Newton was called the last of the magicians, right? Giordano Bruno, who was the predecessor to Copernicus, right? 
He was a Catholic friar who was burnt at the stake. This was in the 1500s uh, for proposing that the universe was infinite without a center, that Earth was not the center of the universe, and that the stars that we see in the sky were actually distant suns surrounded by their own planets with life of their own. And he was burned by the Catholic Church for heresy, for saying just that. Um, and he was hailed, he was hailed, uh, he was hailed as a martyr of science. His writings on Hermeticism, again, and the occult, and his beliefs in reincarnation have been quietly swept under the rug by the same scientists that hold him as a hero for science. And I think that that's very interesting. Why are these sort of things ignored? Why are, why, so we elevate Isaac Newton for being this you know, man of science while sort of disregarding his belief in the occult. Same thing with Giordano Bruno. They say that he was um, martyred, burned at the stake for, for believing that there were other earths and other planets. This is back in the 1500s, but could it also be because of his practice of alchemy and his belief in alchemy and hermeticism? There's a lot going on that we don't, the general public don't really know about. And I'm, of course, curious. I like asking questions. Now, I've mentioned Hermeticism, and I should probably take the time to briefly define it. Put simply, it is a school of thought, a belief system, a religion, etc., based on the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus, a Hellenistic combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. I will not be able to delve deeply into Hermeticism in this episode specifically, um, because that's not what the focus of this episode is about. But I have often mentioned the Kabbalion, and that is a book um, worth checking out. Uh, I would recommend it over and over again. In it, it holds a concise understanding of the nature of reality within its writings, um, and it is a reflection of the Hermetic teachings. So it is worth absolutely checking out. And a lot of the tenets that are mentioned in this Kabbalion, like this book is like, I think like at least hundreds of years old, probably older. Um, but a lot of what revelations that were made within this book have seemingly been verified thousands of years later by our scientists and by modern thinkers as well, as well as philosophers. It is all tied to alchemy. Gnosticism, Theosophy, and even Christianity, with the latter appropriating Hermetic teachings for their own purposes. I'll say that again. Christianity even has appropriated Hermetic teachings for their own purposes. You don't believe me? All right. Here is a simple despelling, a removal of a word spell. Christ, the founder of the Christian faith, was said to have been visited by the three magis, right? The three, quote, wise men. Now, first, the Bible never calls them wise men. Later on, they have been renamed wise men, and I think that that was done intentionally. But in the book, they were called magi, M-A-G-I. A quick, a quick Google search for the meaning of the word magi and you're faced with the direct 
interpretation of the word to mean a skilled magician, an astrologer, plural of which is magus, M-A-G-U-S. It is where it's the direct word (laughs) for where we get the word magician. So ask yourself, why was Christ, the son of God, the Christian God, why was he visited or why was he said to have been visited by three magicians? You hold that in mind. Brief seg to Hermes Trismegistus, by the way, of the Hermetic school. Now, he, the word Hermes Trismegistus, some people define him as, or they interpret that name, Hermes Trismegistus, as to mean Hermes the, the thrice great. And I know it's pronounced Hermes or whatever, but I'm not, I'm going to, it's, I'm going to say Hermes because that's how the fuck it's spelled. Okay. So, um, Hermes, the, the, uh, the thrice great, right. With trist denoting a triad, right. Three times. And then the word magi, magistus denoting magic. But once again, magic in the interpretation is intentionally left out. From the little reading that I've done so far on the book that I mentioned, The Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic, the author states the importance of the number three, the the magical and powerful importance behind the number three. So Hermes, the triple magician, that is actually what Hermes or Hermes Trismegistus means. And that number three is meant to signify to his followers, it denotes an extremely powerful magician. So the name Hermes Trismegistus means Hermes or Hermes, the triple magician, the most uh, the most powerful magician, okay? Because that number three is extremely significant um, within that sect or the occult or whatever. Um, but you see that same three coming up again also in the in Christianity. Don't worry, that's not it. I'm going to go in deep, deeper. We see the three magi in the book. We have the tri- the Holy Trinity as well. Okay, so the same number three denotes extremely powerful combination of magic. And each of the magi were said to represent magic from Europe, Africa, and Asia. Asia meaning um, the, the Hindustanis. And Europe meaning like the Greco-Romans. And Africa meaning obviously the Africans. Um, and they, the three magis followed a star in order to bestow the Christ with three gifts or three blessings. Now, if I had to guess, I'm guessing that that story is more symbolic than narrative. Either way, the Bible itself calls them magicians. Anybody who read that book back then when it was written would know what that meant. It never says that they were wise men. It never says that they were kings. That is a modern interpretation of an ancient text. And when you do that, you lose the initial meaning. Now, the gifts that they brought were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold, I'm guessing, was a gift of wealth. Myrrh, I'm guessing, was an anointment of a ruler. So they anointed him. The magicians came and anointed the ruler. 
with myrrh and frankincense was said to be connected to the Egyptian mystery schools, um, which is an annotation to his eventual, to Christ's eventual rebirth, right? So you know how the Egyptians were about the mummification process and rebirth, okay? So now we're going to pivot a bit to the word occult and its negative connotation. Because I know as I'm kind of going through this, I, I'm there are some uncomfortable feelings, right? Because we have been programmed to feel some type of way when we hear about magic and we hear about magicians and we hear about, you know, depending on how you grew up. I know for me that if I would have heard what I'm, what I'm saying on a podcast, maybe in my early 20s, uh, I probably would not have kept listening. I would just felt intensely like, oh, I should not be listening to this. But I want you to, for a moment to look at the practices of Christianity from the eyes of someone who has never heard of the religion. Okay? I want you to, to look at, I want you to take a step back, right? Because we are told by Christianity. We're told by Christians. This is not an attack on Christians. I just want to clear eyes for a second. Okay, so we are told by Christians and by Christianity that anything that is non-Christian is pagan, is occult. Any sort of religious practice that is not, that does not, <laughs> I mean, I was going to say that does not fall, you know, under the Abrahamic um, umbrella, but I have heard and I've seen some Christians, this is not bashing Christians, I'm just telling you my experience, um, that I've heard some Christians refer to the practice of Kabbalah which is a part of an it's an Abrahamic sect of um, an Abrahamic religion, right? It's related to the Jewish faith. I have seen people, you can see this on, on social media. Um, I've seen and heard people refer to them, uh, that practice as witchcraft. And I've also seen and heard, unfortunately, the same thing apply to people who are Muslims, that same mindset by Christians. And and honestly, I, I thought it's not just limited to Christians. They all point the finger of condemnation on each other. But uh, because I was raised Christian and um, I, I, I can only speak from my perspective. So I, my father was a pastor, believe it or not. So I was raised with the mindset of that anything that was not Christian was considered witchcraft. Now I want you to look at Christianity. I'll help you look at Christianity. If you were not raised in it, if you're not raised in a society that has kind of been blinded to the practices of religion, of Christianity, from an outsider's perspective. Okay, so imagine that a visitor comes to our planet. They're intelligent, right? But they're from another planet. And you tell this visitor that Christians routinely and on a weekly basis, practice the ritual of consuming the flesh of their God and drinking his blood. Uh, <laughs> that they invoke, they invoke a non-corporal entity called the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to enter into their bodies and possess them and to have them make prophecies of the future. This happens a lot, particularly in Pentecostal and non-denominational churches. I've seen this. Okay, um, you tell this person, this visitor from another planet, that Christians believe that they can heal by chanting. They can heal others by chanting prayers, which are essentially spells. If you read those other two books, these two books, that's what that those are spells, right? The laying on of hands 
while invoking, invoking an unseen entity to come through them and enact their will on whomever they've laid hands on. They ask this unseen entity to heal the individual that they are thinking about or have placed their hands on through the transference of energy. They repeat mantras and sometimes they curse their enemies, right? And whenever they want, they have a desire, be it for a new job or whatever else, they make offerings to their God, sometimes of money, right? And then I hand them, I hand this visitor a, a book, a religious book, and I, and I say, read through this. Now, the visitor is going to read through this book, and they're going to see repeated references of magic. They're going to see references to Moses, a founding father of the church, outperforming the magicians of the Egyptians, both summoning snakes, causing plagues, and unfortunately, killing children. In fact, the book itself is rife with repeated accounts of ritual sacrifices of both animals and children. It makes me uncomfortable, but it's true. Like You really need to take a step back from it and read it. Many references to their God, a non-corporeal form, repeatedly requires, he repeatedly requires blood as a sacrifice. They can easily fall into the same category that practitioners of Christianity want to pile on other members of the occult who do the exact same thing, who engage in the same practices, right? I mean, let's be real. When people in a Christian church point the fingers and say these people are engaged in witchcraft because they speak to spirits and you know make offerings to on you know non-corporal entities and make sacrifices and things like that all of that it's the same thing it, it's it's in the book it's the same thing you go to church and what do you say imagine how that sounds like this is the body Drink, you know, eat this. This is my blood. Drink this. Like if you grew up completely, like if you weren't exposed to this as a child and you came into it as an adult, it's weird to say the least. And the thing is, people forget that the Christian religion, along with Abrahamic faiths, are thousands of years old. And as a result, They are steeped in the rituals, practices, and superstitions of people from thousands of years ago. From the beliefs in sacred symbols, in magic, in secret worlds, and the ability to conjure and command and invoke the unseen. That was what people believed thousands of years ago. The book was written thousands of years ago. So even though we might be emotionally or psychologically detached to what is in the book, 
the fact of the matter is that that's what's in the book because they were written by people who believed these things thousands of years ago. If you bring in practices from a time when people believed in magic, you're still practicing magic, whether or not, you know, it's still the occult. Whether or not you want to see it, whether or not you are ignorant to it. A great eye-opener for me was the book called God, the Most Unpleasant Character in All of Fiction. It was written by an anti-Christian atheist. The reason why I phrased it in that way is because I didn't want to call him an atheist because I don't, I mean, I think he calls himself an atheist, but the fact of the matter is some people call themselves atheists simply because they don't believe in the God that is described in the Bible. And it's like, well, then you're just an anti-biblical God theist, right? You're against that God, but you might be, you might think we're in a simulation. You might believe that this whole world was you know, designed intelligently. Um, but that still speaks of a, a overall grand creator. So I'm actually mindful of not putting him in that category. But the book, it was the, Dan Barker, I believe, was the author. Um, but it forced me. I, I, I went through it and it like shook the cobwebs out of my eyes and it forced me to see the religion with modern eyes. It forced me to see the religion with modern eyes and to take steps um, to take things a step further and to understand that when you point the finger at similar religions like the cabal and to mystics and you call them witchcraft, right? It made me realize that these people that were pointing their fingers at and I, that I was pointing my fingers at as a Christian many years ago um, are engaged in the same act or similar acts that Christians perform or at the very least like reenact the rituals that they reenact. The only difference is a lot of Christians don't believe in the stuff that's in the Bible. They just sort of take it at face value. Um, but a lot of people who practice this stuff genuinely do. Like they, they take those rituals and they perform it on a day-to-day like basis. So there's, they, there's, a, there's a lot more belief in it than, you know, the regular person, Christian who maybe goes to church just like, you know, on Easter and, and Christmas. So that's really the only difference. But to me, calling it witchcraft, it's like pointing the finger while the other fingers point back at you. If you're going to call these sort of practices witchcraft while your religion is kind of doing the same thing and touting the same tenets, then you have to sort of take a step back and understand that the other fingers are also pointing back at you the same practices that you are engaged in it's a weird vibe it is and i'm saying this as a person who was raised in a christian household i have parents that still practice the religion um it is a weird vibe if you go back and take a step back and you take an approach to it and you look at it at what is in the book that they hold i mean half the stuff in there i'm like i'm (laughs) i was raised to be afraid or to like to have like as I said at the beginning of the episode, like I, that's not if you guys want to check it out, I wouldn't recommend that you summon topas, but the information is out there. But I still have that inherent sort of I don't know if you want to call it fear or respect or whatever it is to not mess with things like that. And so when I started going back with like my my 
modern eyes and I went back over the Bible and I was reading about all blood sacrifices, eating flesh and, and things like that. And a, a non-corporal entity that repeatedly require the, the sacrifice of children. Um, the whole, that freaked me out. And to me, it was like, just as like eerie to me and creepy to me as like any other book that I may have come across, um, that would have like that kind of stuff in it. Like I, I just, I got, it kind of weirded me out a little bit and it's not to condemn. I'm not condemning. I'm just telling you, I'm speaking honestly about how I felt, um, going back because once again people forget that this these books were written or this book that book the collection of books were written thousands of years ago i've i've used harsher words in the past and i'm not going to use it because i've grown up from that and i i shouldn't really be that um antagonistic um i still need to respect that there are people in various um levels of understanding um but in the past i have used uh very antagonistic words to define who were the people who wrote the books but i will say that the people who wrote these books thousands of years ago like they didn't have (laughs) sci-fi they didn't have you know television they didn't have modern medicine they didn't have cell phones they didn't have duck duck go they didn't have you know audio books they just had their minds and them trying to understand so they were deeply like ritualistic they believed in spirits they believed in magic and they probably manifested some shit based on their collective belief in something so the people in the past lived a completely different like i'm telling you right now the people in the past lived a completely different version of reality than we are living right now hand to god like hand to the gods i don't know why i said that (laughs) but i'm telling you right now so just bear that in mind like we keep forgetting that it's not a modern religion so there's a kind of a lot of people it's it's going to have what people back then believed and if you're still exercising that with modern eyes while pointing the finger at people and condemning people who are doing the same thing uh, it, it feels uh, it's a weird vibe and I'll leave it at that okay so I want to add another definition of the word magic this one is from um the etymological dictionary and then magic is defined as the art of influencing or predicting events and producing marvels using hidden natural forces. Also, the art of controlling the actions of spiritual beings. That is the so-called occult. And most, if not all religions, fall squarely under the category of the occult. Christianity only seems to be the exception because its practitioners deem it so, while pointing fingers of condemnation at others in similar sects and offshoots. So once again, I'm not saying any of this as an endorsement of said sects. I'd be lying to you if I said that it didn't all just kind of freak me out a little bit. Because it does. I mean, I'm being honest, it does. But that's because of my Christian upbringing. I just want to make you aware. I'm not certain that speaking in tongues differs much more from channeling a, quote, ascendant master. Right? But if you talk to a Christian and you say, I channeled an ascendant master, a lot of the time the Christians can look at you basically like you just said, I spoke with a demon. Because their God is good and any other person's God is a demon. That's the mindset that you're programmed with. But it's the same thing that they're doing. 
It's the same loop with just slight variations. And in the future, it's probably going to get to the point where people are going to back up their consciousness, right? Or we create or generate a super intelligence. And a, a consciousness backed up into the internet or a super intelligent AI, those are still non-corporal entities. So consulting with an AI through a computer is just a modern technological way of doing exactly what mediums do. So are we all magicians? In a way, yes. Or should I say, we all have the innate ability to do so or to be so on a grander level. So now what's stopping us? And that's where the notes stop. I have my theories. I think we live in a world that, like I said, is conditioned to keep as many people unaware of their abilities as possible. I think we live in a world that is conditioned to keep people as distracted and unfocused as possible. I think it's interesting that a lot of people who create these apps go on TV and they tell us that they don't allow their children to go on the same social media apps that they are on. Right? The constant swiping, the inability to focus, it's like basically causing more and more people to develop, develop symptoms of ADHD which is why I always encourage you guys to increase the speed and turn listening into a meditation. But all of the books that I'm reading, that I'm reading so far, um, by all of them, I mean the two books that I've been reading so, so far are magic. And I will be reading more. So I guess I'm speaking into the future. I have read more in the future. All of these books, on some level, talk about the ability that you must generate in order for you to bend In order for you to bend things to your will, you have to first develop a strength of will. And so one of the authors, uh, I think the book on one called Magic, Ritual, and Reality, he basically says that, he, he says meditation is how you strengthen the will. He says when you sit to meditate, I think I said this in the uh, last week's episode as well, but it's worth repeating. He says when you sit to meditate, every time a distraction pops up, right? Your mind kind of shifts to the distraction. You have a stated will and your will is, I want to focus on my breathing. And then something pops up and your will wavers and you're distracted. He said, you use meditation to strengthen your will. And that very act, whatever that energy is that shifts your mind, whatever that non-physical energy is that shifts your mind away from the distraction and back to your stated will, where if it's you know repeating a mantra or you know focusing on your breathing or whatever that energy if you do it enough times becomes strengthened i want to build up on that what i've been focusing on focusing on is when i find myself in situations where i would be i would typically respond to in a way that i have been programmed to respond right so if somebody cuts me off you're programmed to respond. There's no exertion of will if you're just doing what you've been programmed to do, which is just react. I force myself, I will myself, and it takes energy. 
I will myself to not react in the way that most people would react. See, I, I say to people all the time, and I've said this on the podcast, that what will be will be for the most part. However, and I say free will is an illusion. However, we can exert some limited form of free will. You can't choose that. You've heard the saying over and over again. You can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you react to it. It's easy to say, but it's not something that the majority of people choose to exercise. Now, what is going on here in these books of magic is that if you remove the mysticism and all the bullshit away from it, right? All of the fear and you know energy that goes around that ultimately at the core, what they're all saying is that there is a next level. So there's most people go through their lives and they're just reacting. And then the next step is, okay, you stop reacting, but you're still sort of going through your life. Then the next step after that is, can you start consciously shifting things? Not saying that you're manifesting whole realities, but you're collapsing specific realities that are in accordance to your will. And that to me, I think, is the next step, right? I, I always have said that there are levels to this game, right? So the first level is you look up and you go, oh shit, it's a game, <laughs> right? And then second, you go, wait, I'm not in control. And you, you, you kind of watch yourself going like just reacting to shit. That's the second level, like, fuck, like, why did I do that? That's the second level. Then the third level is... I don't have to do that, right? All this shit is happening and I'm just going to observe, right? Okay, this is happening, this is happening. That's the third level. And then the fourth level is I'm going to start like changing things. It's all still programmed in, but it's just as the pyramid goes up, as you walk up the pyramid to that eye of awareness or self-will. And I think that there's a reason why the cultists, quote, use that pyramid and there's an eye on top. We have been programmed. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. We have been programmed to fear that is. But that is not, if you've learned anything from this podcast, you said things that they say automatically you should shun because it's evil. They're probably doing that in order to keep people, keep the masses from looking at it, looking at the information. I said this to uh, my friend, uh, Eric, I said, I think it's interesting. We have this explanation. We have this sort of um, quote that we're all very familiar with now, right? When something is free, you are the product. I think it's interesting that anywhere you go, you can get a Bible for free. Like Bibles are everywhere, right? And I mean, they just give these things away. But a lot of this information that we're discussing from these books, you have to pay for them. And there are some books that the the large majority of humans would not even be aware existed, let alone you wouldn't even have access to it or they would be so expensive. Like think about what is in the library at the Vatican that 99.9% of human beings are not even going to get to see what's in that information. What's in the, what are in the, like in that library? Cause they give us this book for free and it's filled with all of the craziness and the mistranslations and, and they don't care. It's just like, here, here you go. And they just, every time they come up with a new translation, it's a new sort of corruption of the original truth. 
That's, they give you that for free. But the stuff that you want to seek out are the things that aren't available for the masses. The one thing that kept, was, that kept being echoed in um, the book, The Doctrine of Ritual and Magic, uh, The Doctrine and Ritual of High Magic, rather, the author kept saying was this information is not meant for the masses. And then I went to sleep after listening to like part of it. And I dreamt of like, somebody just kept saying, fear the mob, fear the mob. And I woke up. Some of you, I don't know if you saw the video I posted today, um, or I guess yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, it was something called a note of things. I posted it on my uh, TikTok channel. I was, I was shadow banned. I probably still am. I don't know. I don't care. And at first it was really bothering me. I think I talked about it a bit on the podcast, but then I realized like the information that you have is, is not supposed to be, is not going to be digestible for the masses. It is only meant for a small few. It has always been meant for a small few who can truly understand it. So stop trying to like, don't be disheartened that you're not being heard by the mob. If anything, you don't you want to limit people who have access to information because to quote the Bible, <laughs> do not cast your pearls to swine for they'll trample them under their feet. And when I had this revelation I had in this dream, I woke up like, holy shit, like sometimes things that seem like they're going against what you want, right? Against your will. But if you take a step back, the intelligence, the greater intelligence is shifting things because for the, for the most part, it it's almost trying to protect you. And when that dawned on me, I realized like, okay, like it's actually probably a good thing that I am shadow banned. Um, and I leaned into it. So I'm going to repeat the same thing because um, it's worth hearing. When information, when something is given freely right <laughs> like let's talk about even the europe the europeans when they went to take people's lands um the first thing they gave to them was that book i i need you to really sit with that how valuable is it if like anybody and everybody can have it and is it there's a book called or the movie called a book of eli it had Denzel Washington and it might be worth revisiting. It just popped into my head. But he said that the book could be utilized as a means, as a weapon, as a means of control. That's not the first time, obviously, it's said that it has been said that. But I really need you to sit with that. Even You see, with public school, what are we learning? More and more, public school isn't meant to educate you. It's meant to keep you, meant to keep you in that fucking wheel. It, it's meant to make you into a consumer, into a, not into an entrepreneur, into a, a worker, while people who are entrepreneurs send their children to private schools and the private schools teach their children how to lead. If something is free, you're the product. And that's always been the case. So something I really want you guys to sit with. And I know I just had the thought like, okay, well, your podcast free. Yeah, but the information that I discuss on the podcast is not free. As you guys know, I read a lot. And at this point, I am sharing 
just fragments of what I'm what I'm reading with you guys. But the knowledge that I discuss was not freely gotten. It is freely given. But it seems to a select few. <laughs>